Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Live from the NASDAQ market side overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Dan Nathan, Karen Feinerman, Tim Seymour, and Guy Adami. Ahead on fast, shares of Lulu and Micron popping after reporting earnings, while RH is taking investors on a wild ride, and Chewy is headed sharply lower. We'll go inside the numbers straight ahead. Plus, a record-breaking day for Robinhood. Shares jumping nearly 25% today, and now at more than 45% in the last 10 trading days. Can you trust this fintech's major rebound? And later, a fast pitch from a new face to fast money. It's a bet that the hybrid work model is here to stay and that this odd COVID darling is not just a rental in your portfolio. That's a hint. We start off with a market rally that defies growing recession fears, and we aren't just talking about today's gains. The S&P 500 surging more than 12% since the year's intraday low in February. The index is now up four days in a row, closing above today, 4,600 for the first time since January 14th. Still, there's an ominous sign in the bond market. The highly watched spread between two and 10-year yields got within one basis point of going negative. And now former Fed, New York Fed President Bill Dudley sounding the alarm, writing an op-ed today. The Fed's application of its framework has left it behind the curve in controlling inflation. This, in turn, has made a hard landing virtually inevitable. So what do you believe? How do you trade this market? Guy, I'll go to you first today. Hi, Melms. I believe Bill Dudley. I mean, listen, the market, the rally over the last three and a half weeks has been remarkable. I mean, the S&P is probably up 500 handles. I mean, the SMH, the NASDAQ, it's all just incredible. And what's funny is we talk about this a lot. We say when the market sells off, we talk about panic. Well, I would submit the last month has been panic buying, but that's neither here nor there. So I'm in the Bill Dudley camp. Yes, the Fed is behind the curve. They're finally acknowledging that across all different voices. And it's inevitable. If you think about it, we have this rising inflation that they can't control, slowing growth, that they're basically creating themselves by hiking. What is the right multiple in this environment for that? And what's the right earnings on the back of this over the next couple months? So the rally's been epic. I think you've faded, Melms. The rally has been just extraordinary. I, I didn't expect it. I normally love to buy the dip, and I did very little buying in the last whoosh down, which seems like so long ago, yet it was only, I don't know, very short ago. But I think that it is possible that we are seeing some peak inflation numbers. And I think that even though the Fed is going to tighten, right, we know that they're going to tighten pretty aggressively, I think, almost in any scenario. But I think the inflation numbers, if they do get a little bit cooler, I think that gives us a shot of a softer landing. So I'm not I'm not as bearish as as Dudley. But, you know, I haven't bought a lot here. The one thing that I'm thinking of buying more of is actually banks, which you would think with this yield curve. Why would you do that? I feel like it's it's sort of overly priced in and a lot of other and the bar for earnings for banks this season, I think, will be low. I mean, has a call for recession almost I don't want to say become consensus because I'm not sure what the exact numbers are or what the exact you know viewpoint is on Wall Street. But you hear more and more people saying recession is a possibility. So you hear more and more people and you think, well, then that's in the that's in the markets already. 
Yeah, I, I think that's what the stock market's telling you over the last few weeks, right? So we know that the expectations for rate hikes have only increased. We know that the rhetoric has increased. We know that it seems like consensus is that the Fed already made their policy mistake, right? And that was maybe a year or go, so ago. And so, you know, when I think about what the stock market is discounting, I think that's really important here. So if we're all saying the word recession, then by the time it gets here, if it does in fact get here, then the markets will have already moved on a little bit, except for the fact that for 10 years, people have been suggesting that we were going to have runaway inflation. And it took a pandemic to get CPI to 40-year highs at above you know, 8% or so. And then it took a war in Eastern Europe for it really to exasperate all of the issues that we thought we'd be beyond as it relates to supply chains and some of the forces as it relates to just kind of cost of goods, services, wages, all those sorts of things being increased. When I think about where we are right now, if we throw a couple trillion dollars in fiscal and a couple trillion dollars in monetary to get by a black swan event, which was this pandemic, and all of a sudden here, we're saying to ourselves, well, there might be other ones here. I just kind of go back to where we were pre-pandemic. We were averaging about 2% GDP growth, 2.2%. The Fed was dying to get inflation above 2%, okay? And here we are right now. I just don't think that three months of what we had in the stock market really encapsulates, you know, years and years and years of kind of Fed policy gone wild in a way. So if you think we're out of the woods right here, I don't care whether there's a recession or not. You know, we had a recession two years ago, right about this period. And the Fed will do what they need to do to kind of manage uh, infla- uh, inflation, um, recessions, and then really what the stock market, how it reacts. I just, I'm a guy here. I think you kind of fade this thing here. But again, we overshot, obviously, to the downside a month ago. We might do so to the upside here. Tim. Well, the overshoot to the upside here, which I, I agree with, came from uh, an overshoot to the downside in terms of where sentiment was, where people were pricing in recession, and, and the correction you already saw in the multiple of the S&P, which was uh, two, possibly three turns off of numbers that didn't make sense. I, I, the biggest issue is I think it's impossible to know what stocks are worth here. And I think, you know, Karen talked about banks are going to report in a couple in a couple weeks. So great to hear from certainly the, the interest rate sensitive, the economically sensitive banks. But I, I want to hear from the, the companies that really can estimate demand. And we may not know even until Q2. And, and I think that's really what it comes down to. We don't know. We can see what the market does to price in the Fed, what the market might do to even price in some bit of recession for stocks. But we have to hear from what companies say operating in an environment where rates are higher. I also think that you're not going to see the same job market at the end of the year that you have now. I think that, you know, the one positive here is that the consumer still is very flush with cash, still has a job, cares a lot less about inflation than they're going to in a couple months, especially when, when you know, they may or may not have that same job. And I, I'm not saying it's going to fall out a window, but this comment about the Fed being more focused on uh, an inflation or lack thereof and or maybe more fo- focused on jobs. Um, quickly, uh, 20% in the SMH or in semiconductors in 11 sessions, 17% uh, in the NASDAQ and the triple Qs and the biggest companies in the world in 11 sessions. Um, Look, this is definitely too far. And a VIX with an 18 handle in this environment where you've got current central bankers, former central bankers, anyone who can weigh in here, um, very concerned about the ability to navigate this. It's only too far if you think that we overshot to the downside. Right. If we, if we never should if we, have, if we right. didn't overshoot, we didn't overshoot to the right. downside. Exactly. Right. Sorry. I think we did pendulum swing too yeah. far. Just want to add to Tim's point, uh, the, the VIX, which I think is in his live trade. Um, that is astounding to me. I mean, we, we ticked 35 a couple times this year. We're at half that now almost. That's that's quite a move. 
So, Guy, you know, I will take the more sunny side of things, uh, you know, in terms of viewpoint. Is it possible that it was sort of the opposite of buy the rumor, sell the news in terms of fears of inflation? What we have, we're on the other side at this point. We're on the other side and the markets are looking past that potential of recession. And as Karen said, maybe we've seen peak inflation numbers. Maybe we've seen, um, you know, prices already factored into the markets as going higher. You're channeling your inner Van Morrison for you fans of the movie Belfast, which I watched. was okay. The black and white made it um, quite um, jarring to me. Wonderful movie. No, I don't think we're anywhere close to it. Listen, I mean, if you think about it, again, this Federal Reserve has been very clear on what they're going to do. They're taking liquidity away and they're going to reduce their balance sheet. And they're doing it at a time where growth is slowing because they have no choice. They've created this situation, and I'm shocked that the market's not reacting. Maybe it's a function of this, though, quickly. You know, and it was in November when the Fed basically changed course, and markets continued to rally through the end of the year, and we attribute that to seasonality. Well, here we are at the end of March. I mean, this is quarter end. So I think there's some quarter end rebalancing going on here as well, which is sort of skewing things. And again, I mentioned this last week. I'll say it again. Pete was on a couple Mondays ago, and he mentioned at the top of the show that he was seeing $70 June VIX calls being bought. That's resonating in my head. And as Karen and Tim mentioned, now you have a VIX south of 19. Something is a bit askew here in my world, Melissa Lee. Marco Kalanovic is a friend of the show, correct? He's been on. He's uh, been making you know, some very nice calls. He, he's out with the call today, and he's still constructive on the markets. And he says there are three reasons. Historically, equity and credit markets do well at the start of a tightening cycle. Uh, even with yields and rates <laughs> rising, it's, the real rate is still negative effectively, so it's still stimulative. And not all central banks around the world are tightening. Take, for example, Bank of Japan and the Central Bank of China. So, Tim, those are three pretty good reasons why maybe we collectively are are being a little bit too bearish. Yeah, and and it's always this time is different. And the Bank of Japan will always be the most dovish one in the room forever. Um, So let's not count them. And and I think the ECB is going to lag the Fed. And I think the ECB has more structural issues where they can't move as fast. And there were comments out of Europe today from former central bankers as well. So um, I I guess, you know, first of all, love Marco's work. I I, you know, I think he's always great at some of these turns. And he's also great at putting a a dose of levity, also meeting where market positioning is. Um, I just think it is this velocity of this move. I, I think uh, a Fed that was this far off sides, uh, this accommodative in terms of policy and in terms of where we really already had underlying demand uh, on the back of this, both reopening and otherwise, um, I think this is one of those times that really is different. And so let's see. Um, I do think everyone screaming recession means we probably won't have a recession. But yes, in terms of where you are tactically playing the equity market, of course, when the Fed is hiking, it means things are pretty good. Otherwise, they wouldn't be hiking. I will say what I said two weeks ago. We've never seen a Fed hiking with consumer confidence this low. And that's something I think is a tell on where we are. Yeah, and I would just say what's different this time and is very clear, and we've been talking about this. You said, you know, this collective bearishness. I mean, we've been pointing out things that have been crashing for about a year, and one of those has been obviously tech valuations. It's been SPACs. It's been crypto. It's been, uh, you know, recent uh, tech IPOs that were trading at multiples that we thought were unsustainable. So you have large parts of risk assets that really have crashed, and what's different, I guess, is that you have four stocks that make up basically about 40% of the NASDAQ 100, and that is the safety trade. 
afraid, right? So if the Fed is going to be taking away liquidity and they're going to be hiking rates and you have capital to put to work that needs to be deemed to be defensive, it's going to Microsoft, it's going to Apple, it's going to Google, that sort of thing. And that's what really kept these major indices, um, I guess, you know, intact during this two, three month period where we had definitely downward volatility in the broader indices, but it didn't get sloppy the way a lot of really, um, I, I guess you would call them names that, you know, were household names, whether it be the square and some stuff in fintech and everything like that, that got down 670, you know, some 80% or so. So maybe that was the crash. Maybe that's what's different. And maybe that's really, if there's nothing fundamental about the Amazon, the Google and the Microsoft and the Apple trade, that's where they're going to continue to go. And that's also about 20, 25% of the S&P 500. And so, um, you know, I guess, Tina, I'm sorry, people, that's it. <laughs> For more on a potential recession, let's bring in Joe Lavornia, chief economist at Natixis. Joe, great to have you with us. Thank you. Great to be with you guys. Where do you where do you peg the probability of a recession? Right now, it's uh, let's say by year end, I'd say about fifty fifty. It's pretty close. Fifty fifty. How about this argument that, that the consumer, you know, is is flush with cash? They're sitting on savings. They've got good jobs, um, rising wages, and so they can. They can weather inflation. The economy can actually yeah. do okay. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, listen, I don't believe that. I mean, Tim made a good point about consumer expectations. That they're in the mid 50s, and typically, that's associated with recessions. The cumulative saving argument doesn't really hold up because the savings rate is a flow, just as GDP and earnings are flows. The savings rate is back down well below its uh, pre-pandemic level. And the problem for the household, Melissa, is going to be a massive amount of demand destruction from higher food and energy costs, coupled with surging shelter, that's over 50% of essential spending. The reason I say 50-50 is there's always a chance we get some sort of diplomatic resolution in Ukraine, God willing, and that could moderate some of these food and energy costs. But the longer that crisis continues, the likelier those recession risks go, and we'll have a recession by year end. Hey, Joe, it's Karen. Thanks for being on. If you had a magic wand or you were the Fed chair and you were tasked with avoiding a recession, what would you do at this point or is it too late? Uh, well, I don't. It, well, the, the yield curve would tell you it's probably too late. But what I would do is I'd get to 1%, I'd scrap the dots, I'd get rid of this idiotic uh, transparency. The Fed can't predict anything uh, and go back to a more green Spanian approach, which will never happen. But I would raise rates, see what happens. And then if the economy was okay in the back half of the year, then you could go to 2%. I would take it more as a step function. They're not going to do that, or they're not saying they're going to do that, Karen. They're going to raise rates seven, eight, nine meetings in a row, according to some people. You mentioned, um, you know, if the conflict in Ukraine gets resolved, Joe, and I'm wondering how you think about rising prices and and inflation in in so many different commodities um, and the resolution of this conflict in as it as it relates to sanctions being lifted. If the conflict is resolved, sanctions may still not be lifted and we may still feel those same inflationary pressures. No, that's exactly right. And uh, but I mean, and you'll come back to the Fed still wanting to raise rates because it believes it's behind the curve, given how negative real rates are. But if there is a diplomatic resolution, at least you wouldn't be worried about a further extended rise in prices for food and energy. I mean, on the food side, potash prices have gone up like a 1999 Internet stock. Uh, fertilizer costs are surging. So this food inflation is a real problem. Food is even a bigger weight than energy, and seldom have we had food and energy shocks at the same time. So you're correct. The sanctions are unlikely to dissipate, but it might take out some of that super high-end tail risk that will give you an inflation rate that maybe be even be 10 or 11 percent 
because the March numbers we get are going to show inflation likely year on year around nine. Joe, always great to get your thoughts. Thank you. Joe LaGuardia of Natixis. Joe had mentioned uh, the impact on food. I mean, food specifically, farmers are planting less, right? There's not enough fertilizer to go around. What we're seeing is not just the impact on food prices today in the next couple months, but it'll be in next year's crops, Tim. And I think that's the issue that, that not many people have sort of factored into their models. I think that's right. And, and we talk about the, you know, the, the cure for higher commodity prices is higher commodity prices. If you want a couple uh, ag stocks, I mean, look at Intrepid, uh, Intrepid uh, IPI, which is a potash company, also has absorbed it, some significant consolidation in the space. I think if you look at where food prices are, um, I do think that you can also play this into some of the industrial stocks, whether it is a John Deere, whether it is a Caterpillar. I think if you if you because I you know, this gets into uh, I, I think what you would do if we actually do see peace break out in Eastern Europe, and we're going to save that for a different part of the show. I, I, I don't think the trends that we see right now with commodities change overnight. And, and I think this is something I've said this over and over. I, I think these are structural issues that haven't been addressed in terms of spending, CapEx and OpEx uh, with core businesses in the space. Guy? I mean, you know, if you think about it, the fundamentals in place, the structural problems in place were in place long before anybody could, 90% of the population could find Ukraine on a map. This just sort of sped things up. And I don't think they're going to dissipate. I think to Tim's point, when things hopefully, um, you know, when peace does break out. So I think you stay with these names. Deer and Company, for example, since he mentioned it, trading less than a market multiple, re- very reasonable valuation, especially given their growth uh, Projection. So I think you can stay with those names regardless of what's going on out there in the world right now. Yeah, and I'll just say lastly, I mean, we have a recession playbook, and it is those massive tech names, and it is these kind of uh, recurring revenue software names, and that's probably what you go back to if that's the fear. Coming up, a potential hope for a ceasefire in the Ukraine-Russia conflict. So what should you do now? The traders will break it down with their peace playbooks. But first, we're all over some after-hours action. Micron, Lulu, and RH all on the move after reporting results. We'll bring you the details when Fast Money returns. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC.
Welcome back to Fast Money Earnings Alert. We are tracking the moves in Micron, Lulu, and RHL posting results short time ago. First up, Micron shares popping after reporting strong earnings and guidance. The CEO also talking about the impact of the conflict in Ukraine. Christina Parsonevelis here to take us inside the numbers. Christina. Thank you, Melissa. You got revenue, profit, Q3 guidance, all beats across the board. A memory chip giant Micron Technology is very confident that momentum will continue and that cost reductions will, quote, outpace the industry. They're that confident. And and this is despite the headwinds like the Ukraine-Russia tensions that are going on. The CEO saying on the call right now, they do have appropriate inventories of materials and noble gases, but they, quote, do expect an increase in our cost as we secure a supply of certain raw materials that could be at risk. The CEO also warned about an expected slowdown in growth in China. Think about, you know, the, the trends, the weaker PC sales and smartphone sales, as well as inflation cost pressures. And last but not least, certain semiconductor shortages that they're expecting to pers- persist in 2023. But on the call, they did suggest three main drivers. That would be data centers, the transition to 5G, and of course, the continuous flow of EV auto models that keep coming out every single year. And for the full year, Micron sees strong demand for DRAM, and that's used in handsets and smartphones, and then NAN, which is used for more permanent storage uses. So they do see some strength there. I'd like to point out Micron CEO will be on CNBC tomorrow morning at around 9.15 a.m. on Squawk on the Street, and shares of the company climbing higher in after hours trading well above 2.5%. Back over to you, Melissa. All right, Christina, thank you. Christina Partsinevelis. Guy, what'd you make of the quarter here? On valuation alone, the stock should be north of 100 bucks. You have those massive $95 double tops from basically uh, last summer and the summer before. Uh, but operating margins, look at these numbers at 35.3%. Same quarter last year was 20%, and it beat what the street was looking for, and they guided higher. So I understand people say you can't look at these in terms of valuation. It's a very cyclical business. I get it. But I, I'm just looking at the DRAM numbers, which is a lion's share of their revenue. They're extraordinary, and so is the guide. So I think this quarter should set the stock up to trade north of those $95 double tops. So then maybe that huge run that we've seen in, in semiconductors, Tim, isn't so nuts based on what Micron is telling us. Well, well uh, first of all, uh, Micron is one of the great trading stocks of all time. So, folks, in, in the last three months, you've had multiple you've had three moves of, of up 25 or down 25 and then some in some cases. And it, the key here is, look, they they talk about demand in industrial and in auto and in gaming. Um, the question is, where are we going to be with demand? But they'll make 13 or 14 bucks a share in earnings next year. And you can do that math. It, it's not an expensive stock. Never is. Uh, but with those numbers, it, the, the valuation will be compelling. I'm just not sure demand is in the same place in six months. Yeah, I would just say this, building on what NVIDIA said at their analyst day last week, I mean, this all kind of ties in together here. You know, I mean, I think it's interesting. We've seen a lot of volatility in this kind of pre-earnings period that we've been in. We know that we've seen some, uh, you know, we saw Adobe last week. We saw um, also uh, Nike, you know, that same week or here. And these stocks, you know, have had some moves. I think you really want to kind of extrapolate a little bit as we get into the end of the quarter, into earnings season um, next month here. I mean, if these stocks are really not performing that well, they're kind of 
sell on the news. I think you're, you're seeing that investors are going to be a little bit glass half empty as it relates to visibility going forward. And that makes some sense. But to Guy's point about Micron in particular, you kind of have some valuation support. If you can take what they're saying at face value and things do materialize, I mean, you want to buy a stock like this at a pullback. I'm not sure you chase an NVIDIA that's rallied 30 some percent in a matter of weeks. All right. After hours, Micron's up four and a half percent. Turn now to retail Lululemon surging after beating earnings estimates, posting strong guidance for the year ahead. Meantime, RH, volatile after hours, the home retailer beating on EPS while revenue missed on weak demand. The company also announcing a three for one stock split. Courtney Reagan joins us now with uh, more from those reports. Court. Hi, Melissa. Yeah, Lululemon stock moving higher on what J.P. Morgan's Matt Boss is calling a monster guide, much stronger than expected for the outlook for both revenues and earnings in the current quarter and the full year. Lulu's also authorizing a new $1 billion share buyback program. Now, on the call, CEO Calvin McDonald said Lulu will increase prices on a small portion of styles. He said Lulu is leaning more heavily into air freight to navigate the supply chain congestion that's been going on, and it continues. He also noted the initial response to that new footwear category. It just went on sale in the United States, and uh, China on March 22nd has dramatically exceeded expectations. Now, following Following a mixed quarter for RH, the furniture seller says that current quarter sales and margins remain healthy due to the backlog. But RH also says that demand softened in this first quarter, coinciding with Russia's invasion of Ukraine and then the subsequent market volatility. The CEO is calling its outlook conservative and says that it will remain that way until demand trends return to normal. RH, as you noted, also announcing a three-for-one stock split in the shares flat right now, but we've bounced around between positive and negative here after hours. Melissa. Court, thanks. Courtney Reagan. Karen, your pick. Where do you want to go? Uh, let's go to Lulu for 500. Okay. <laughs> um, it could head there. I don't know. Not, just an extraordinary beat. That top line <laughs> beat is so amazing. I mean, they run a, a great business, even though they said if they have issues, right? Yeah. When you think of what a powerful retailer they are, there are bigger ones for sure. But if they have issues, it's going to be hard for others to compete. When you also have a brand like they have, you can, you can price it and keep that price, right? That's a lot of aligned pants they're selling at a pretty high pretty high valuation. So it's, it's a great business. I don't own it anymore. It's nearly two times the market multiple. It deserves to be at a premium for sure. But two times is just a little too rich for me. Yeah. Guy? I'll go to Restoration Hardware for 500, Melm, since she went uh, the lure route. Although I happen to agree, I think 390 is the level it gets to. I mean, Restoration Hardware, I'm looking at it and you say stock had a big day up today. Valuation, believe it or not, at these levels at 15 times next year's numbers is compelling. And they told you it's conservative guide. So the stock was effectively cut in half from its all-time high. I still think there's room to the upside in RH from here. Unless you believe that housing, the housing trade is that, you know, the best is behind us, Tim. If you think the best is behind us, do you yeah. want to buy a bureau and a sofa and patio furniture anymore? Look, RH has, has hurt me badly in the last couple of years uh, personally, so uh, I, I'm done. Um, and I don't think that they're going to have the kind of demand. They had significant pull forward. Remember when we were stuck in our homes? Uh, remember when our homes were actually then told they were worth a lot more than pre-pandemic? This has a lot to do with the success and the pull forward. And they even guided. I mean, they, they, they said they're looking at, you know, roughly 11, 12 percent on the year. I, I don't think that's really enough. I 
No question. Valuation, not difficult. Um, but I think it's a case here. They are the ones that are going to be paying higher costs for some time. It's shipping. It's materials. And, and I think it's a it's a dynamic where there is a pull forward on demand. I, on Lulu, by the way, um, yeah, expensive, but cheap to its five-year average. And, you know, 37, 38 times isn't awful for 20% op margins and the kind of growth they have. When you said RH hurts you, you mean the stock or you mean the price of the furniture? No, I, I mean, suddenly stuff started showing up in my house, by the way, like 18 <laughs> or 20 tables, months after I ordered it pillows, uh, or somebody yeah. else did. Yeah. And, and no, that's it was it was painful. All right. Just want to clarify. I just one thing that if you read their letter, they have very grand visions at RH, right? RH Contemporary, RH Bespoke Guest House, RH Plain, RH Architecture, RH Landscaping. I don't recall a transformation like maybe Ralph Lauren in the mm-hmm. late 80s, early 90s, but... I don't know. That's that's I wonder if they get distracted and start spending a lot of money and um, somehow sort of lose their way. Maybe not. They've done an extraordinary job. No question. But that's to me a little bit of a flag. Something to watch. We are just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. New hopes for a ceasefire in the Ukraine-Russia conflict. So how do you position your portfolio? The traders break it down ahead. Plus, grab a glove. We've got a fast pitch coming your way. The super host stock that could be a total home run investment. The name in just a few. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Fast Money. Ukraine and Russia holding ceasefire talks in Istanbul earlier today. Russia saying it will drastically reduce military operations near Kyiv. The prospect of peace or at least an end to full-scale armed conflict, in part helping the markets climb higher today. The Nasdaq up nearly 2 percent, S&P up about a percent. So how should you be positioning yourself for a potential end to the fighting in Ukraine? Now, Guy, we often play out the scenario, if I told you what will happen tell me what to do or what will happen days later. We get all sorts of complaints about this. You should have to call it something shorter. It's got to be snappier. But basically, that's what we're telling you. If you knew that there was going to be peace tomorrow, what would the trade be? It's great. I mean, I like the fact that people are always, uh, you know, adding us on Twitter and stuff about <laughs> these games. But I'll tell you, the, the knee jerk on that will be defense stocks will sell off. And listen, we hope that obviously does happen. I think we're all praying for that. But Lockheed Martin will sell off anywhere from 8 to 10 percent in a knee jerk fashion. And then people realize, wait a second, Lockheed Martin still trades at a discount to the a broader market, probably a discount to its historical self with the earnings growth to back it up. And countries won't make the same mistake twice. You saw the announcement out of Germany a few weeks ago. So I think if that were to happen, you buy Lockheed Martin on the inevitable pullback it will see. Karen, you actually came up with this. Yes. I don't want to call it game. Right. But this idea of trying to Thoughts, figure out, yes. a gaming out, you know, if peace were declared in some yeah. shape or form, what would you well, do? The peace trade. And I was talking right. to Natalie um, at EC about this peace train. 
I'm like, you know the song. She didn't yeah. know the song. She never heard of the song. That was kind of amazing to me. Anyway, for mine, I mean, I would look wheat today. Wheat was down a lot. I think that the knee jerk, what, what Guy talked about, the knee jerk reaction might not be the right thing in the long run. Mm-hmm. But obviously, energy down, oil down, even though I think we're going to continue to export export to Europe, and I think we'll drill more than we were. I think oil is going to be down. And I think some European bounce, so some of the airlines, like a Delta that has more exposure. Then the last thing, I looked at the DAX. I thought this would be great for Germany. The DAX has already completely round-tripped since the day before Hmm. the invasion. So I wouldn't do that. Oh, me. Um, I might look. Mm -hmm. You just said something about, you know, Delta transports. I would look at a FedEx. I would look for stuff that's like deep value right now that's being Mm -hmm. negatively impacted by some of those supply chain issues, some of the inflationary issues as it relates to inputs. And FedEx kind of fits in that bucket here. I know that there's news about Fred Smith stepping down, and that's sad. He was a great CEO for a very long time. But this company might start to take a different course. It trades well below market multiple, expected to maybe have, you know, double-digit EPS growth, uh, mid-single-digit revenue growth. Maybe you get some improving margins here. And I think this is a big Tim name. Maybe it's a big Karen name. This would be one that if we have a, I don't know, a more peaceful world, a world that's coming out of a pandemic, this was a name that I think you would look for value to growth. Yeah. Tim? Transports have been rocking. He's right. Um, 10,000 Maniacs did a great cover of Peace Train, Natalie Merchant. Uh, And I would buy the same things I was buying when Russia invaded Ukraine. Because, again, on Peace Announcement, you're going to see oil pull back. You're going to see uranium pull back. And and don't fall asleep on gold. So uh, I've said this. I'll continue to say it. Uh, I I think the way the U.S. government and central bank and Treasury control other central banks is not something they enjoy. Uh, Gold will continue to be diversification. There is inflation. Uh, Uranium projects are going to continue to come online. And the structural issues around oil and the investment and and also energy uh, at less than 4% of the Waiting in the S&P is going higher, folks. It was 16 at its peak when oil prices were this high. And I think for the trade, but also for the investment in energy, these are your peace trades. All right. Coming up, Robinhood hype. Shares surging on the back of a big update from the company. The move that had investors piling in. But first, play ball. Our next guest is heading to the mound and winding up for a fast pitch. The Superhost stock, he says, is a total home run investment. The name next when Fast Money returns. Get your trades to go with the Fast Money Podcast. Catch us anytime, anywhere. Follow today on your favorite podcasting app. We're back right after this. Let's get another quick check on some of the after-hours earnings movers today. Chewy, look at that, plunging 13% after its report. Well, Micron and Lulu both up sharply. RH is up by just about... Uh, almost a percent right now. Check out Airbnb jumping more than four and a half percent today. It is also up more than 20 percent since the Fed meeting and back in the green for the year. Our next guest says there could be a lot more room to run for this name. Adam Lampy is of Mint Wealth is here with his fast pitch for Airbnb. Adam, why do you like Airbnb? Well, the bottom line is that 27 percent of the workforce is working from home and that's mind blowing data right there. The fact of the matter is Airbnb, they say 24% of the people that are renting from them are renting for 28 days or longer. Right there gets my attention. And then there's 150 users. That gets my attention as well. In terms of the 27% of workers working from home, I would guess that that number has been dwindling. And as offices start to reopen, that number will continue. Is there anything that makes you believe that that 27 number is sticky? (laughs) 
Oh, I think it's sticky. I mean, the number one requirement that folks want right now is flexibility. And the fact of the matter is uh, it's an employee world right now that we're living in. So as we continue to reopen, Adam, how much competition will Airbnb have from just traditional hotels and resorts? Well, you've got the traditional brick and uh, mortar uh, establishments like uh, Marriott, which, you know, they have a huge employee base. I mean, you're talking 120,000 employees versus uh, Airbnb only has about 6,000. And, you know, basically, you know, the fact of the matter is 50 percent of all the investment buyers out there are paying for cash and rents are up up. 40% 40% in some parts of the country. That, that, that's a layoff. Adam, it's Tim. Thanks for joining us. Do you believe Airbnb should trade at a premium to other online travel? I realize a slightly different business model uh, and different costs. Um, but if I look at Expedia and bookings, obviously significantly cheaper. Your pushback on that? Well, the fact of the matter is Airbnb is basically has their own platform. 90% of their users come directly to them. And other competition like the Marriott's of the world, they're copying what Airbnb is doing. So I think they're in a great position. I and mean, they've been around a long time. There's 200 million Prime users or Amazon Prime users. And one of the first early investors was the CEO, the wealthiest man in this, in this world, Jeff Bezos. So, Adam, you think this has a $1 trillion market cap potential? How do you get there? Well, the math, I'm a math guy. In 2018, they made about 42%. In 2019, they made about 31%. Let's, let's exclude 2020 because of obvious reasons like the pandemic. Last year, they're up 77%. That's, that's remarkable. Uh, the, the numbers, you know, they're here to stay. I, I agree with Jim Cramer. I mean, he, he said hotels are going to the sidelines. Airbnb is the new way. Adam, thanks for joining us with your pitch. Adam Lampy of Mint Wealth. It is time for us here on the desk to vote. Are you buying Adam's pitch on Airbnb? Dan, you had an AARP trade, I recall. Oh, wow. And this was one of the A's. Yeah, you know, this stock has actually performed pretty well. It's up 5% of the year. It's obviously had a big um, rally here. I like his pitch here. I mean, really what you're trying to do is figure out how this company can grow into that, you know, the, the multiple of sales where it's at right here. And I think you look two years out and you have maybe a Gaidami hat size for a multiple of sales, especially if they're growing sales, you know, 20 plus percent over the next few years, 80% gross margin company. I mean, I think it makes sense. I think this is the sort of of moat. This is a sort of, um, I think the way he made the case versus Tim's question about bookings in Air, uh, Expedia justifies a, a higher multiple here for this name. So I like it here. Guy. Mel, were you able to read my smart board, okay, please, me for me? Are you able see. to do that? I'm, the I'm asking, please. in the Dawn trade, hashtag GSB. I'm leaving my board up because, you know, for obvious reasons, you want to see my face. But I'll say this. I agree. I don't know if it's getting to a trillion dollars. That would be an eight bagger from here. But if you look at the quarter they reported on February 16th, it shows you a glimpse of what is possible. Average price target around 200. I think it goes higher, Melms. And the board is still in front of Guy's face. Karen, what do you say? Yeah, uh, despite its uh, sort of steep valuation, I think it's a buy. One thing I really like about two things, a couple of things. Free cash flow positive, nicely. Not the greatest free cash flow yield, but that's okay. It's growing nicely. And I do think there's this, this first mover in the, in the rental space that they really have a lock there. I know there's competition, but they have, they have a great brand. And so, yes, I like it. 
All right, Tim. Tim, are you going to do Adam with the buy or what? <laughs> Oh, yeah, okay. and I'll sell just so he has a over. shot of actually winning on Twitter. But, yeah, because whenever we all vote in favor, they, they definitely don't get it on Twitter. I think a lot of competition. Let's go Mets. <laughs> what that random? Okay. Um, the traders have spoken, yeah. but are you at home buying Adam's pitch on Airbnb? You can vote in our Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money. The results after the show, later in the show. But first, no trading at the dinner table. The changes Robinhood just made that had the stock soaring. The details ahead. Do not go anywhere. Fast Money is back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out Robinhood topping the tape today. The stock posting a second best day since going public, rising more than 25 percent after announcing it will extend trading hours on its platform to 7 a.m. through 8 p.m. Investors loving this move from Robinhood. Why, Karen? More volume. Yeah, more volume. Right. I guess. So I, does that limit it only to Robinhood to Robinhood? Oh, that I don't know. I don't know. No, it's going into the it's pools. It's got to be. I mean, okay, so, let's so be, how active are the pools at and, 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 and should people maybe, maybe and our retail doing it in a big manner? I, I actually think it's probably just an excuse for a short squeeze, right? And you look at this thing, it had been flatlining in like that $12 range. It's got 10% plus um, short interest here. I just don't think it's going to be that important one way or another. Well, one of the reasons, as they said in their blog, is that people are back to work. They come home from work. They want to trade or they want to trade before work, Tim. Um, so maybe this is this is good. Well, I, I don't think this is a game changer. I, I also think we've seen a meme frenzy. These are the same folks that that uh, seemingly there's, there's been a correlation between all these asset classes and even Robinhood. Uh, as someone that was nibbling in the stock ten bucks higher uh, in the options market and and you know saw that stuff expire worthless. Um, I, I felt that there is a very sticky customer base and there's a demographic here that I would want to own. And I don't think there's anything extraordinary about their business. I don't think longer trading hours is a reason. Uh, I agree that this is a, a catalyst for uh, a stock that, like other you know, uh, high multiple tech stocks, have had 40 and 50 percent runs off the bottom after crashing. Um, and I think unlike some of the rest of the market here, some of these moves I think you can nibble at. Guy? Listen, I think Tim just hit the nail on the head. I mean, this was an $85 stock, so... It absolutely crashed. It was a nine and a half dollar stock a couple of weeks ago. I mean, it could double from there and still be an ex- extraordinary bear market territory. So, I could absolutely see this thing with an eighteen handle. And you know what? If it gets there, you sell it again because, as I've said a dozen times on this show, the most innovative thing about Robinhood is the name and the hair on some of those dudes. <laughs> Coming up, (laughs) big moves in the payment stocks today, and that had option traders charging into one of these names, how they are playing it next. And there's still time to vote on Adam's Fast Pitch. Are you buying Airbnb? Vote in our Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back. Here's a sneak peek at the Kramer Cam. Jim is talking with the outgoing CEO of FedEx. Catch the full exclusive interview at the top of the hour on Mad Money. And don't forget, you can have Kramer delivered right to your inbox with the CNBC Investing Club. Sign up now at CNBC.com slash join the club or by using the QR code on your screen. Meantime, check out the big moves in the payment space today. Block, MasterCard, PayPal, Visa, all trading higher. And option traders are betting one of these names is about to retest its highest levels of the year. Mike Coe has the action. Mike. 
Hi, Melissa. So actually, I think we saw options traders piling into all four of those names. In all four cases, they were bullish, but we are going to focus on the largest of those four payment stocks, and that's Visa. This thing traded twice as many bullish trades as bearish trades today. The most active options were the weekly 330 calls. Buyers of those were paying about 83 cents for a little over 2,800. That means that they're going to be targeting those levels of just under 240 that we saw in early February. Guy, you flagged these earlier on our midday call. Yeah, they stuck out like a sore thumb. And you know what else stuck out like a sore mm, thumb? There's a great imagine. show on Friday's 530. I, I believe it's called Options Action. Who's the dude on that show with three names? Carter Braxenworth. That would be Carter Braxenworth and the Parthenon of great uh, technicians. He pointed out Square a couple weeks ago when it was 103. Look at the move in there. So there's something going on in all these names they're making up for lost ground. And to Mike's point, I think there's still room to the upside in Visa. What do you think about the bounce, Karen, in the payment stocks? Uh, well, Visa, maybe it's a cross-border transactions. Those are profitable mm. for them to the extent if peace is here, that, that's a good thing. I actually bought a couple on a firm and PayPal. I sold a firm, had a ridiculous bounce. Um, PayPal, I'm going to hang on to. It's not crazy expensive. And it used to be crazy expensive. How about that? Square up 70-some percent from its recent lows. It's still down 50 percent from its all-time 52-week highs, which is nuts. Mm -hmm. Mike, thank you. For more Options Action, be sure, to the, be sure to tune in to the full show. That would be Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, the results on Adam Lampy's fast pitch on Airbnb and your final trades. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Fast Money. Time to find out if Twitter was buying Adam Lampy's fast pitch on Airbnb. And unfortunately, they are checking out. 53% of you out there said no. 47% said yes. And that is probably because the majority of our traders said to buy. Um, time for a final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour, what do you say? Yeah, I'm buyer Boeing. I'm long Boeing. I, I do think the resurgence in airline stocks, but also uh, the defense dynamics of this company, like me, some Boeing. Guy Dami. Best run financial out there, Melms. Look at the move in Blackstone over the last couple weeks, poised to take out its all-time high. Karen Feinerman. Yes, another well-run financial, Morgan Stanley. I like that it doesn't have some of the spread issues that the banks do, although I would think the capital markets, investment banking business isn't great, but the valuation is. So Morgan Stanley. Dan Nathan. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that FedEx outgoing CEO, Fred Smith's interview on Jim Cramer's site. I also say UPS looks pretty good. I know that you guys have been in that one. It just gapped up above that 220 level. To me, that looks good, too. All right. Thanks for watching Fast. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Meantime, do not miss Mad Money with Jim Cramer, which starts right now. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.